We are going to be considering God's Word this evening from the letter of Paul to the, the church of Colossae, the Colossians. If you turn there to chapter 4, I'm going to be reading just a few verses here, verses 2 through 6 of chapter 4. Much like this morning, the Apostle Paul is writing his final instructions uh, to the church. These are some last words for them to remember, some exhortations for them to take with them uh, in their life uh, for the church. And so, I will be reading verses 2 through 6 of chapter 4, Colossians. The Apostle Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may, you may know how you ought to answer each person. Here we're going to end our reading this evening, God's holy word. Well, this morning we heard the call from Hebrews 13, that as believers we are called to willingly and joyfully submit to our leaders as to the Lord. And part of that is supporting the ministry of our leaders in the church. It's the will of Christ that every Christian should be uh, an encouragement uh, rather than a hindrance to the gospel ministry in their church and in their area. But many of us might wonder as we, we think about that call to, to assist, to encourage gospel ministry, we might wonder, how can I do that? How can I assist? How can I uh, help the gospel ministry if, if I'm not called to be an office bearer? Perhaps it's your assessment of yourself that you don't have the gifts of leadership or teaching. Is there any opportunity left to help, to assist the work of the gospel? Well, the passage I've just read, it really gives us some direction. It gives us some encouragement with regard to that question. When Paul wrote this letter to the Colossian Christians, he was suffering in a Roman prison. He was in chains. He was behind bars. And yet, you notice that even though he is in chains, he's positive, he's happy, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is not chained. He rejoices in this entire letter that the good news of Jesus Christ is still going out to the world as the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe. And one of the things in particular that he rejoices in is that the Colossian Christians can truly join in or assist him in his ministry in several important ways. And in the first part of these verses, verses 2 through 4, Paul describes an important and a powerful way in which believers can support gospel ministry in what we might call an indirect way, and that is by praying, by bringing supplication to the Lord in prayer on behalf of God's appointed spokesman. 
And in the second part of this passage, verses 5 through 6, Paul describes how believers can take an active role in sharing the gospel by living wisely and by speaking with salty speech. Paul's inspired letter is an encouragement to us, and it tells us that that we have an opportunity to assist the work of the gospel in our context, in our place, where we live and where we work and where we play. We can all be active in assisting gospel ministry. And the first way, as I noted, is by praying for the work of the Word as it is preached, as it is proclaimed to the corners of the earth. Paul concludes his letter to the Colossians by pleading with the Colossian Christians to pray, to get on their knees, to go before God, and to pray for Him, for His missionary companions, but most of all, most importantly, for an open door for the Word of God. And you notice that that Paul uses language here that almost makes us think that he's involved in a military operation. He uses something like military imagery to capture the urgency, the importance of believers' prayers for gospel ministry. And when you think about it, that's very appropriate. Sometimes we mistakenly think of, of our prayer as sort of this this fun intercom between us and God through which we can ask for all of our daily needs, all the fun things that we would like to receive from the hand of God. But Paul paints a different picture of prayer here. One theologian says the prayer of God's saints is more like a walkie-talkie for spiritual battlefields. It's the critical link between active soldiers and their command headquarters where all the firepower and the strategic wisdom is found. Paul says here in verses 2 through 4, continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak." This is the situation as Paul's experiencing it. Paul and Timothy, as well as their companions Aristarchus and Epaphras, are engaged in a fierce spiritual battle for the souls of men. But Paul and Aristarchus have been captured as prisoners of war. And though all might seem lost, Paul is able to smuggle a letter out of the prison camp to some fellow soldiers stationed behind front lines, the Colossian Christians. And in this letter, he urges them to get on their walkie-talkie, to call command headquarters and ask headquarters to fire, fire a missile that will blast open the door of the prison so that they can get on with their mission to release people from the power of Satan and bring them to God. What's important in all of this? that the soldiers behind the front lines, the Colossians, with their walkie-talkie of prayer, are crucial to the success of gospel ministry on the front lines. 
Sometimes we think of prayer as such a small and almost insignificant contribution to gospel ministry, but it's not. Prayer is necessary. It's of the essence of gospel ministry. It's needed for gospel ministry to be effective, not only locally, but around the world. And that's Paul's initial point, that the Colossians have a powerful and effective participation in the work of the gospel going out to the world simply by praying for it. But that leaves us with a couple other questions that that Paul addresses here in these few verses. The first question, how should we do that? How should we pray for gospel ministry? And what should we be praying for? What should we be praying for? We're going to take those questions one at a time. If you're taking notes, each one of those questions is given three answers by the Apostle Paul. First, how should we pray for gospel ministry? What attitude should characterize our prayer for the going out of the Word of God? Well, first, you notice Paul says here in verse 2, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. If we want to have a crucial role in the great spiritual warfare that characterizes this life, then we must persist actively in prayer. The petitionary prayer of a Christian, Paul says, should never be casual or occasional here and there, but regular, continuous, habitual prayer. Prayer to our Heavenly Father for the needs of the church, for the cause of the gospel, isn't to be simply a chore, something we mark off each day. It's to be a lifestyle. Prayer ought to be a standard feature of the Christian life. That's Paul's first point. We are to continue steadfastly in prayer if that prayer is going to be effective in this spiritual battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Second, how should we pray for gospel ministry? Paul urges us to be watchful in prayer. And here again, we notice the military imagery that Paul uses here to describe our prayer for gospel ministry. Paul says, don't be naive. Recognize that there is an enemy out there, the devil, and he would desire nothing more than to interrupt, to get in the way of our prayer for gospel ministry. This morning, I I mentioned 1 Peter chapter 5 that the leaders of the church are to be watchful because the devil as our adversary is constantly prowling around like a roaring lion. He's looking for those whom he might devour. And that's why Peter says, be sober-minded, be alert, be on guard against Satan's tactics. Don't let him put you to sleep with apathy for the gospel. Don't let him clutter the airwaves with non-essential or worldly concerns. Don't listen to his propaganda and give up in prayer. Be watchful. Be on guard. As Paul says elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 6, a passage I shared with our, our prayer group that meets every Tuesday on Ontario Christian. Paul says, put on the protective armor of God. And how should it all fit together? How does it all hold together? With prayer, 
with prayer so that the feet of the gospel might go readily into the world and might advance in this great spiritual fight. Paul says vigilance in prayer is the mark of spiritual maturity as we press on in support of God's kingdom, in support of gospel ministry. How should we pray for gospel ministry? Finally, he says in verse 2 again, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. As I said earlier, sometimes we think of prayer simply as a means of, of acquiring personal gain, addressing personal needs. But genuine thanksgiving, first and foremost, should characterize our prayers. It's thanksgiving, gratitude, that should leaven our prayers so that our prayer is not just selfish pleading for personal desires, but our prayer is an expression of gratitude to God for His steadfast power and provision in the midst of the spiritual warfare all around us, we can rejoice, we can be thankful in prayer that the battle belongs to the Lord. We can be thankful that the skirmishes between Christ and Satan in the wilderness and at Gethsemane and on the cross and at the empty tomb have already been won by Christ, and He's leading His church on in triumph, in victory. When Paul says that our praying should be offered with thanksgiving, he means that we should keep our eyes on the sure victory of God and of His church. We know that God will win. We know that the, the future for His church is certain, and it's a bright, victorious future. And so thankfulness is not only the manner of our prayer, it's what stimulates us to prayer as well. That's how we should be praying for gospel ministry. But what should we be praying for? What should we be praying for on behalf of gospel ministry? Again, Paul shares at least three things that we can pray for specifically uh, in the aid of gospel ministry. First, he says, we should pray for the soldiers who are engaged in direct gospel warfare as their permanent vocation. It is true, of course, that all Christians are called to share their faith, but not all soldiers have the same assignment on the battlefield. I read earlier this morning in the morning sermon from Ephesians chapter 4 that God has called some people to special offices, some to be evangelists, some to be teachers, some to be elders, leaders in the church, and pastors as well. Christ gives specific spiritual callings to people in the church, some whose primary mission, primary calling in life is to minister the Word of Christ. But all Christians are called to use the instrument of prayer for the sake of these frontline soldiers. And our missionaries, your elders, your pastors, greatly need they greatly appreciate your prayers for them as they labor daily, regularly, moment by moment on behalf of the gospel in the midst of the opposition of the kingdom of Satan. And so, what should you be praying for? Continue to pray for these individuals by name. Continue to pray for their specific ministry. 
Pray for their specific needs, that the Lord would meet those needs and allow them to be victorious in this fight. But secondly, Paul says in verse 3, pray that God may open to us a door for the Word. This is something rather common in, in Paul's letters. He asks for an open door for the Word, for the gospel. Now, you notice Paul's request here is not that the door of the prison would be open so that he can get out. That's not his primary concern. He requests that they pray for an open door for the Word. Because even though Paul may be in chains, he prays that the gospel would go forth everywhere it's preached, if not by him, then by others. And that needs to be our prayer as well. Not simply that the gospel would be faithfully proclaimed here in Chino or in the state of California or in the United States, but that the gospel would be faithfully proclaimed and make inroads among all the unreached people of the world. And so when you are praying for the gospel ministry, pray that there would be an open door for the gospel in Italy and in China and Romania and Israel and Iraq and even North Korea, even as we continue to pray for the gospel in our own backyard. Pray that, gospel, that God would raise up gospel preachers, that He would bless our seminaries and our seminarians, that God would raise up young men in our own congregation who have a desire to be trained for gospel ministry, that God would make a way despite opposition, that He would make a way for His powerful Word to go forward and transform human beings wherever and in by whomever it is obediently preached. And finally, what are we to pray for? Paul says we're to pray that the mystery of Christ would be made clear through gospel preaching. He says here, that pray that we would declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Somewhat paradoxically, Paul says the goal of gospel ministry is to make a mystery clear. Now, what does he mean by the mystery of Christ? He doesn't mean that the message about Jesus is unclear uh, or confusing or obscure. He doesn't mean that we have to have some special higher knowledge or secret knowledge in order to understand the Word about Jesus. That's not what he means by the mystery of Christ. By using the word mystery, Paul is simply referring to the fact that, that various aspects of the gospel message were revealed in stages over time as part of a gradually unfolding plan of salvation. The person and the work of Jesus Christ wasn't simply uh, immediately revealed to God's people, but it was revealed over time with ever greater clarity. Earlier on in this letter in chapter 1, Paul says that his task is to proclaim the mystery of Christ, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
What, what God has finally made plain to the world, what He is daily revealing to sinners through gospel ministry, is this mystery of Christ, the God-man who came to earth to live a perfect life, to, to die a sacrificial death, to rise victoriously from the dead, to justify the ungodly Jews and Gentiles, and to prepare us for glory. That message, that glorious good news, that's the content of the work of gospel ministry. And Paul says it's your task to support that work by praying that this glorious mystery would be made clear. It would be made plain to all the peoples of the earth, including our next-door neighbors. And so you see, simply by praying for the Word, you can assist the ministry of the gospel in some very powerful and effective ways. But finally, and a bit more briefly, Paul urges us to share the gospel where we live and work and play. And we can do that in a very direct way by our wise walking and our salty speech. In verses 5 and 6, Paul answers a question that, that we all probably have asked and we wonder about from time to time. The question is this, how am I, as a Christian, supposed to relate to the unbelievers in my life? How can I share the gospel with them? I don't have a seminary education. It makes me nervous. I'm frightened. How can I do that? And this passage provides two answers to this very important question. First, Paul says to the believers here in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Wise walking before a watching world, what does that mean? It involves knowing what to do for the glory of God at the right time and the right way to meet the needs of our neighbors. It's knowing how to become all things to all men, yet without compromising the holiness and the truth of God. In Matthew 10, verse 16, Jesus was speaking to His disciples. He, he was sending them out for their work of ministry into the world, and He said this, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He was saying, walk wisely before a watching world. How do we do that? Well, we can directly witness to our neighbors by finding tactful and thoughtful ways to tell them about the Lord without coming off as harsh and unsympathetic or arrogant. We can offer our time and our energy and our resources to simply help them when they're in need, showing that we care not only for their souls but also for their bodies. We can let them watch us from their living room window as we pack the family, as we pack the kids into the minivan and, and head off to worship on Sunday morning. We might offer to pray with them during times of distress while also politely respecting their time and their space as well. When they ask us about our hope in life, our purpose in life, 
we can simply tell them that, that Jesus has made all the difference for us. And when we confront those who are angry, angry fools who reject God, we can decide not to answer a fool according to his folly, but simply respond in a loving and patient and humble way. In all of this, we walk wisely, tactfully, before our fellow neighbors, and we model the truth and the grace and the love of Christ to them. We, we buy up, as it were, every opportunity to engage others for the sake of Christ our Lord. We walk wisely. But finally, Paul says, we can directly witness to the outsider by using salty speech. He says, finally, in verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Salt is one of the most basic, uh, one of the oldest seasonings there is. It's used to perk up bland food, to make it appealing and attractive. Paul says that we should season our speech and our gospel witness so that what we say about Christ, what we say about the Christian life is as appetizing to the outsider as possible. We should offer as Christians a powerful, meaningful, attractive testimony as we share with non-Christians what Christ has done in our life, what He's done for us. We can make an appeal to them to believe in this Jesus, and that appeal should be passionate. It should be heartfelt, engaging, stimulating. Our lives should, should demonstrate the radical change and transformation that Christ has made in our lives through His grace. I think it's tragic when Christians of all people can only offer a bland and passionless account of what God has done for them. Paul says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Let it be attractive. And you might say, how? Again, I'm not a trained minister. I've never gone to seminary. How do I develop the ability to speak about Christ so that it has an appetizing flavor to it? How? Well, the answer, brothers and sisters, very simply, is by daily reminding yourself from God's Word why the gospel tastes good to you. Remind yourself daily why the gospel of Jesus Christ is appealing and appetizing to you. You will grow in your ability to speak in an appealing way about Christ as you cultivate your love and your enjoyment of Him. We sometimes fail to commend Christ to our unbelieving neighbors when we're asked about Him because we've neglected the importance of growing in our own love for Christ and our enjoyment of Christ, our appetite for Jesus Christ. It's very hard to, to talk eloquently about your favorite gourmet meal if all you've been enjoying recently is cheeseburgers and french fries. Well, in the same way, it's, it's hard to, to salt our speech with the appetizing flavor of Jesus when we haven't been enjoying the flavor ourselves. And so, go to the Scriptures and encounter Him 
His glorious character and His marvelous saving work, which is written on every page. Come regularly under the preaching of God's Word, which is the power of God unto salvation, which has the power to change you and bring you to a state of maturity in Jesus. Talk with your spouses and your children and your family and friends about the marvelous work of God's uh, God's grace in their lives and in your life. Kneel before Him daily in prayer, continually expressing gratitude for the specific things that He has done and He has been to you. You see, when we truly enjoy Christ, when we have an insatiable appetite for Him and for His Word, then we will most certainly be able to give an answer for those who ask us what our hope and our purpose is. Then our speech about Christ will be seasoned with salt. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, you too can assist gospel ministry. And so, take up the powerful tool of prayer in support of God's frontline soldiers, and take up that prayer with steadfastness, with watchfulness, with thankfulness in the certainty of God's victory and make the most of every opportunity to share the gospel with outsiders through your wise conduct, through your salty speech, so that your friends and neighbors and family members too might come to know the appetizing flavor of the mystery of Christ, that they might know that their deepest longings are satisfied in Him alone. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You that You have given to Your church evangelists, teachers, preachers. Father, You have provided for gospel ministry in every way, and You you allow ordinary believers to, to put their hands in as well and to assist, to give help to the work of gospel ministry. We thank You for the powerful means of prayer that simply by going to You as a habit, as a spiritual habit of our lives, praying continually in a watchful, vigilant, faithful, and thankful way, Lord, You're using that prayer to assist the soldiers on the front lines, giving them strength and wisdom and support to continue in their work. And Father, You give us the opportunity to simply speak the truth in love to our neighbors where we are. Lord, we thank You that simply by the way we live and the way we speak, that we can give a good confession of Jesus Christ. We can also be assistants of gospel ministry by simply giving a passion-filled, faithful, heartfelt confession of of all that You have done for us, the great difference that You have made in our lives. Lord, may you work through our simple but genuine witness to bring all of your dear children home, all those for whom Christ died, who are precious to him. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, let's uh, close with our last song.